Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fans, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. Mike and Mark here. And on this episode, we're joined by a man who's known to different generations of fans for very different reasons. Eduardo Perez grew up in the game as the son of a Hall of Famer. He played in the big leagues for 13 seasons, and he's currently on ESPN as a broadcaster. And Mark, I know a lot of our listeners are a lot like me in that we all enjoy the stories that come out whenever we're joined by one of your former teammates. Yeah, and a former teammate that really has uh, puts a smile on your face. Uh, Eduardo Perez loves the game of baseball. As you mentioned, Mike, uh, growing up in a family and knowing that your dad eventually becomes a Hall of Famer, there's pressures along with that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, his perspective on those type of pressures and what really motivated him to go through the game of baseball. Eduardo, great to have you with us. 13 years in the big leagues, son of a Hall of Famer, first round draft pick. Let's go back to your playing days. If you could find one moment in a fun career, what do you consider that signature time for you? Wow, that's a really good question. And again, um, I would have to say when I was with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time and and um, I was able to hit a home run uh, against Randy Johnson. And then in the next at bat, I was able to hit a home run against Mariano Rivera. And to hit it off two Hall of Famers, uh, two potential first ballot Hall of Famers at the time, I wanted, what I wanted was actually to send the bat over and have them sign it. <laughs> but I was afraid that it was going to come back shredded. <laughs> and at the same time, I thought it would have been a lot of fun, but I don't know how, how, um, how Randy would have taken it at the time. And now that we're actually pretty darn good friends, I wish I would have had it sent over. Eddie, uh, we'll talk about uh, in a deep dive into your career, but uh, let's let's touch on that because you had some pretty good numbers. I, I, I believe eight for 27 versus Randy Johnson, four home runs, two doubles, and, and also seven RBIs. What, where'd that come from? <laughs> he tipped every pitch. That's why it swings. <laughs> I tell him all the time also. And as a matter of fact, he, even in Cooperstown, we're at the Atasaga hotel and I get to sneak in because quote unquote, I'm the son of the hall of famer, just like Mike pointed out earlier. And um, I get the privilege of being in there and Randy pulls me aside and he's in an Arizona diamondbacks uniform. And he comes up to me and he goes, okay, what did you have on me? I was like, does it really matter? You're in, you're enshrined in Cooperstown and I'm not. So let me have my moment here. And I finally showed him, and then I gave him a big old kiss on the lips. And he goes, if I would have, I mean, on the cheek, not on the lips. If I would have known that, he goes, if I would have known that, I would have then thrown one right at your neck. And then after that, hit you right on the back, right in the back. And, and I said, yep, but you didn't know it. And you had the chance, and you missed. And then you got kicked out of the game as a Yankee, so it was kind of fun. 
Eduardo, it's so funny because uh, I was with the Milwaukee Brewers, and uh, this this these were the lean years of the Milwaukee Brewers. And obviously on the bench, Randy Johnson is, is pitching for the Diamondbacks. And I'm over the railing. And uh, you know this. I mean, uh, players that didn't have the ability of superstars had to pick out certain things. And I think uh, looking at the tipping part of it, that particular night, I said to uh, our backup catcher next to us, I said, Kevin, um, he's tipping every pitch. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, I see every pitch he's doing. Now, obviously, two-pitch pitcher, I think it's a little bit easier. But fastball-slider combination, I had every pitch, and we're in the first-base dugout. So he gets a pinch-hitting appearance in the ninth inning. And he gets up there, and he says, can I see it from the home plate? I said, yeah, you're going to be able to see it. It's going to be perfect. Here we are, and he's doing it. And he gets up there, and Eddie, 3-2 pitch, he gets a slider. He has a great at bat. He punches out for the 17th strikeout. So that's basically what I wanted to do. Tipping pitches is something that's interesting. You bring it up on uh, Randy Johnson, uh, and there's the picture we can see, which is absolutely fabulous. But you looked for those things, didn't you? And it was something that uh, was in your DNA, having the ability to pick out pitches. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's that's one of the fun fun parts of uh, um, of the game. And I grew up again in a baseball environment. And in 1983, I have to go back to when I was 13, about to turn 14 years of age. I was finally allowed during during the season to sit in the dugout as a, you know as a son of a player. And that time, my dad was with the Phillies, and Joe Morgan was there. The late Joe Morgan was there. Pete Rose, and I was flipping seeds with. Um, uh, pitcher by the name of John Denny, who was the number two pitcher for the Phillies at the time, number 40. I was big in numbers also. And I was flipping seeds, and one seed hit, hits Pete Rose right on the back, and and Pete's watching everything. And he snapped at me. He said every, prof, uh, every word that I understood and did not understand as far as profanity-wise, but I knew that if I needed to wear, if I wanted to be there, I needed to pay attention. And uh, Pete sat next to me and taught me how to look and observe and watch every little nuance that uh, that a pitcher was doing or if they were tipping. It was the finger, the angle, the height, the the size of the glove. Sometimes the other hand. It was really interesting. And um, and again, I I learned that at 14, and I just kept doing it, and it kept evolving, and um, it snowballed pretty much into my career. And I was fortunate that I knew this because. While you were in the Midwest League having fun with Chris Turner and Chris Pritchett and all those guys, I was actually in the Cal League, and I ended up um, bunning a baseball off of my eye, and I lost all depth perception, and I couldn't see out of my eye. Legally, I was blind out of it, and um, I needed anything I could to be able to survive in the game, and I was fortunate that lefties at the time, because they threw fastball changeups usually to righties, um, they would do something different. And those pitchers are the ones that I had to make a living off. And, and I was fortunate that at that time, going back to 1983, Pete Rose taught me the tricks. Did the vision ever bounce back, by the way? Uh, no, no, it did not. So no. I was able to play in the big leagues over 10 years, uh, pretty much as a left eye dominant guy. But losing that vision in the left eye, I had to retrain myself. And it exposed me a lot. And that was right after the A-ball season. And I really struggled at night in really bad lighting situations. So I was fortunate that I played AAA in Vancouver. 
British Columbia, where I, I was teammates with Mark there uh, before he got traded on a, on a probably, I think it was in July. He got yeah. traded right before the All-Star game. And I, I pretty much, I teared up as he told us down the left field line that he was just traded and he didn't know if he was going to go to the All-Star game representing us or not. I remember all of that like if it was yesterday. But I was fortunate that playing in Vancouver and in Edmonton and in Calgary and the West Coast, night games were really still day games until like the sixth inning. So I was I was very fortunate to have played in the Cal League. You just barely survived working with Sweeney and playing with him, <laughs> and you still got to the big leagues. That might actually be the hook of your story. How he did it, we'll only have to guess. You picked this in the first round in uh, 1991 by the Angels. Sweeney's drafted the same year by those fellas. And then a couple of years later, 93, you get the call to the big leagues. Do you remember who told you what that was like, your reaction, and who you told right away? Oh, yeah. Of course I remember. Um, actually, our manager was Max Oliveras at the time, and he and he called in Ty Van Berkeley to the office, and we were in Scottsdale. And Ty Van Berkeley was a journeyman, a player who had played also in Japan, had never made it to the big leagues, and Max called me into the office and he goes, I want you to see something really cool. And um, I sat next to Ty, and, and he goes, Ty, I want to let you know congratulations you're going up to the big leagues. And Ty was like hugging me saying, yeah, and I was so proud of him. Uh, we got, you know, I respected so much of everything that Ty had taught me. And all of a sudden, here comes uh, Max and says, and by the way, you're taking Eduardo with you. And um, I thought that was the coolest moment, um, everything. And But at the time I'm thinking, wait a second, am I gonna lose my rookie status for next year? That's all I was thinking about because you're cocky. You know, you're, you're, you think that you're, un, uh, you know, you're like, wait a second, I'm doing, I'm doing really well now, doing everything that I need to do. Um, but the coolest part of, and the funniest part about this is I called my dad and I said, dad, guess what? I just got called up to the big leagues. And he goes, why? <laughs> I said, what? And he goes, you're not ready. I was like, what? What do you mean I'm not ready? He goes, they think I am. He goes, okay. And, um, <laughs> and I love, I love, I love everything. He goes, congratulations. You're going to do well. But remember, it's easy to get there. It's hard to stick. He would always tell me that. And he goes, and once you get there, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. I know you have friends there. Have them meet you up at the big leagues. But don't look back to see how they're doing. You have to focus on you. And um, I struggled. I struggled defensively because I had just recently, in a year before, I had moved, gotten moved to third base. Um, so defensively, I struggled. Um, I had some injuries to my elbow as well. And um, it, was, it was a tough, tough uh, uh, for me to stay up in the big leagues the first few years when I was able to get the call. Let's go to July 27th, 1993. What do you remember of your first game? Because your dad says you weren't ready. Well, that first game, I, I think it feels like you're ready. I thought so too, man. I really did. And then it was all downhill after that. It really was. Okay, so let me take you through my first half back really quick. My brother and I, when we were little, and obviously we grew up around the big league environment, we would tell each other, and we roomed together. We had, we had the same room, beds next to each other and everything. And he would say, first one to get to the big leagues has to swing at the first pitch no matter what. So Joe Baver is the pitcher, is, is uh, the uh, the starting pitcher for the Oakland Athletics that day, and he throws a slider that was probably two feet outside, 
And I couldn't feel my legs at the time when I took when I got to the batter's box. I don't know about you, Swings, but I was as nervous as could be. And I was like, and my brother had actually called me. I was about to say texted me, but that didn't exist back then. He called me and he goes, don't forget the deal we made. I was like, oh man, this is real. And I wasn't going to let him down. And so he throws a slider that was in the other batter's box and I swing. And now I'm like, uh-oh, down 01. They're thinking, here comes this another, another Latin kid that has zero recognition of what the strike zone is. So I'm going, he's going to throw me another wild pitch to see if I'll swing at it. Next four pitches were actually a walk. I ended up walking my on-base percentage. <laughs> that was about to go down in a hurry. But then Kevin Campbell came in later on in relief, and I had faced him a lot in the minor leagues, and he always threw me a curveball that I couldn't hit. Guess what? The lights at the big A were a lot better than the lights in minor leagues. And I sat on that curveball, and I hit it. And it felt so good. I flipped the bat. It rolled, they said, like 10 feet away from Tony LaRussa in the dugout. And Tony was livid, was livid. And Ruben Sierra comes up to me the next day and he goes, hey, man, in Spanish, but I'll say it in English, I will speak as slow as Ruben spoke as well. And he goes, I want to tell you something. Tony wanted to hit you, but I said, hey, let me talk to him first because he had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and, and, then, and then and then Ruben changed the whole story. He goes, now let's talk about me. And it was, that was great. It was great. But um two for four, my first uh my first game in the big leagues with a double, three RBI, and, and it was awesome. It really was. Did you have an immediate phone call with your dad and say, Hey, I thought you said I wasn't ready. Not a bad debut, right, Pop? I would never dare say that because he would say, This is a marathon, brother. <laughs> and he played 24 years in the big leagues, 23 and a half like I did. Then we'll talk. And and um, it, it, it got hard, it got more difficult. Scouting reports started coming in. They wanted to see if you can hit the fastball, if you can hit the, the curveball, the slider. Um, and I had early work every day still on my defense, and that took away from my offense. Better. I know you said you grew up in the game, but describe for us what pressure you felt, if any, not only being – Tony Perez's son, but also your first round pick coming out of Florida State, big baseball school as well. Do you have to carry a lot of that with you? I got lucky. I got lucky because I really, I wasn't a top prospect in, in college. I wasn't a top 100 college prospect to start the season. I wasn't in the top of, of, of anything. So there were, there was not any pressure coming in to the season in 1991 out of Florida State. Um, I grew, I got stronger from my sophomore to my junior year. And, um, and Mike Kelly at the time, and, and Swings knows this, he was like the guy from Arizona State that everybody was on and everybody was watching. And we were fortunate that our opening series in Florida State was against ASU. And I, I did really well. I stole a few bases, had a home, I think I had a couple home runs, did everything right. And, and I took a lot of pride in, in, in running the bases. I, I really did. A lot of people always thought, oh, he's slow. But I took a lot of pride in running the bases. And, and uh, little by little, you know, I was able to work my way up into that prospect status. But I never had that summer league moment or that Baseball America at the time or if it's USA Today, Baseball Digest, whatever it may be, was, was um, focused on until late. So I was a late bloomer when it came to that. And as far as being Tony Perez's son, I'm also my mom's son. 
And I think it's where there's more pressure being my mom's son than actually Tony Perez's son, because I, I'll, I'll be straight up. It's, it's the only parents I've had. It's the only thing I know is being a, a baseball player's son. And, and so to me, I take a lot of pride in everything that he taught us, uh, mostly off the field than on the field. Yeah, and I think that's important, too, uh, family influences. Uh, by the way, Mike Kelly, Golden Spikes Award winner um, from Arizona State, and also I think he was drafted by the Yankees. Uh, never made it to the big leagues. but oh, by the, Yeah, by the Braves, wasn't it? I think it yeah, was, yeah, well, it was. The, sorry. Uh, but you start looking at that the influences, too, Eddie, and I, and I don't want to uh, leave Florida State. Uh, Mike Martin, who has uh, over 2,000 wins, 2,029 career wins, the winningest Division One coach in uh, in college history that that influence too. Did he prepare you? What did he do for your career uh, moving forward? Yeah, uh, he believed in me from day one. He worked with me, and um, I thought it was really. Um, I, I got to Florida State, and again, I knew the game because I was around the game my entire life. But I, I didn't really play it as organized. I, I never did a travel team. I never. Um, played in, in, in my senior year, we didn't have a high school team. I ended up having to play Legion ball in Puerto Rico. And my teammate was, uh, Yvonne Rodriguez was my catcher. Uh, I was at third base at the time and he threw, he made a throw to third base and, and I thought it was going to hit the dirt and it actually just jammed me right here in my wrist. Uh, so I had, I knew the knowledge of the game, but I needed to play the game. And, and Mike Martin would always tell me that I was raw. He goes, you have an unbelievable ability you have to get stronger, but you're raw. You understand the game, which is a plus plus. And um, I believe that's what really uh, his patience and giving me the opportunity to play um, as a freshman, the first 30 games, evaluate it. He goes and, and break down the game uh, was huge. But it wasn't just Mike Martin. It was Rod Delmonico who believed in me um that recruited me with just with the belief of other scouts in Puerto Rico saying this kid wants to go to college he doesn't want to sign professionally um he could be a late bloomer Chip Baker who I still stay in touch with to this moment um that you know uh Steve Winterly who was there at the time all those coaches really helped give me um a, a foundation to be able to understand that I was good enough at every level to be able to play and excel. And um, they were great teachers and they were very patient and um, they never got disillusioned by, by anything that I was, that I did as a freshman moving and growing uh, through the growing pains as a sophomore and then being able to, to really establish myself my junior season. Yeah, that foundation is so important uh, to to grow, grow in the game. You, you make it to the big leagues. We already talked about your debut. Any mentors when you first came up to the big leagues that really uh, made that path a little bit easier? Chili Davis. Chili Davis, to this day, I still call him once in a while, asking questions. Uh, Rod Carew is another one um, that, you know, he was our hitting coach at the time with the Angels, and he would lighten things up for me. He would understand that, you know, even though he had a lot of success, and sometimes it's difficult for Hall of Famers and guys that were very successful at the major league level to understand what struggle is. And um, he understood what uh, early in my career, what struggling was all about. But Chili really, um, it wasn't just on the field, it was off the field. And I think what really helped out is he's like, listen, you've seen the game as a son of a major leaguer. You're not the son anymore. You are a major leaguer. You're still going to be your dad's son but you have to believe in your ability and why you're here. 
And, um, and, and I think all those little things that he was teaching uh, day by day without even probably knowing that he was um, really helped out. Even on the days off, he's like, hey, listen, we're going to we're going to go to Catalina Island. And I was like, what's that? Yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm from Puerto Rico. I don't know what Catalina is. Now I do. Um, you know, so I thought it was really cool that that uh, a veteran player would take under his wing uh, a rookie, uh, a rookie like that. And, and um, again, it's it taught me also about leadership. And I think that's that's one of the most important things where when I was that veteran guy later on, I made sure if it was the Rocco Baldelli's, the Carl Crawford's, uh, um, you know, that they also understood the Mike Morse's uh, in Seattle uh, when I got there. You know, Chin Su Chu, who was there just for a little bit before he got traded to Cleveland. All those guys uh, really, you know, you, you try to you try to mentor them the same way Chile mentored uh, me. That's such a fascinating perspective. Mark and I typically will ask our guests about uh, something that is usually a big deal because they didn't necessarily grow up in the game. And I want to ask you the same question, and that is, what do you remember feeling like when you finally saw your rookie card? Because as you pointed out, Chili Davis said, you've got to establish yourself and your own identity. What do you remember? I thought it was so cool. Uh, again, you, you have to you have to understand when you, when you see the rookie card, and there's a rookie card of uh, that I think Upper Deck did, and it was on the steps of Matt Bailey Stadium in Vancouver, but they brought in an Angels jersey. And I took it. And to this day, there's only three autographs that I've done in the front of that card. Um, and one went to my dad, one went to my mom. And the other one actually went to a couple in the, um, in the Seattle area, in the Tacoma area, who were, who I really took a, a really key, a really, um, who I made a really nice friendship with. And I just thought that they were purest of the game. And I wanted to, to get them that because, they, they cheered for all the players. It wasn't just for me. And they were collecting just because they wanted to pass it on to their children. And I thought that was, that was really cool. So I wanted to gift them that. And, uh, but my goal was not just to have one baseball card. It wasn't just to have one rookie card. It was to have many. And if you have many, that means you're doing something right. That means you're sticking around. And, and I knew, and it always stuck in my head what my dad told me about it not being easy to stay, but easy to get there. And I wanted more than one card. You know what wasn't easy is uh, walk-off hits, walk-off home runs. Uh, most of ours are coming in the backyard with a wiffle ball bat in your hands. Uh, you had three walk-off home runs, uh, and your first was against Rick Aguilera. Can you take us through that moment? Because uh, that's a special moment coming to the plate, and I know your personality comes out when you're touching that plate as well. Yeah, that was really cool because that was my first week in the big leagues. So we played the athletics and then right after the A's, we played the twins. And the day before Rick Aguilera struck me out on three pitches and it was fastball and he would climb the ladder and he pitched up in the zone. I, I guarantee you Rick Aguilera had really good spin rate back then. And, <laughs> and he pitched, and again, it was, it, it was sneaky. It would just get up on you. So fast forward next day, here comes Rod Carew. Looks at me, puts his glasses down like this as he's reading. He goes, hey, look up and in and swing the bat. Look up and in and swing the bat. I said, okay. So as young as I was, I'm paying attention, man. That's Rod Carew yeah. right there. That's number 29 letting me know what's going on. And first pitch, because 
I wasn't taking it. It was up and in, and I swung the bat. As soon as I hit it, I just flipped the bat. I don't know where that bat landed. And I put my both arms up, and I knew it was over. It was my first walk off, and I was like, this, this big league stuff is a lot of fun. And um, that was my first walk off, and it was, it was, it was, it was a really, it was a memorable moment for me early on, as that first week having my first home run, and then the second one being a walk off was really cool. Well, you know, with major league beginnings, we're always talking about firsts, and you get your first walk off, and your debut, and your first game. But oftentimes, along with a big league career, comes that first trade, and for you. It was three years into your career after your time with the Angels, you're flipped to the Reds in April of 96. Of all teams, right? The Reds. How'd you find out about that? What was the impact? It was it was, uh, it was an awkward situation a little bit. I'll, and I'll be straight up with you on this. Um, I had played winter ball and I had hurt my left shoulder and I ended up having surgery on my left shoulder. And I wasn't able to play all spring training. And uh, Billy Bavese called me into the office and growing up in the game, you sort of know the rules a little bit of what can be done, what can't be done. And I had finished the, the season in the big leagues the year before. And um, he called me in and he's like, Hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to DFA you. And I was like, wait a second. I'm like, I haven't even had one at bat yet. And uh, the, the opportunity of, I said, if you do, um, I would like to go and get traded. I would like to get traded because at the time uh, it was Marcel Latchman who was the manager. And, and I felt that there wasn't uh, chemistry there. I didn't, I didn't believe that, that as a manager, he believed in, in that I could get better. Um, and it was because of my own doing by not producing, you know, it wasn't anybody else's fault. I wasn't a great defender. And at the same time, I wasn't producing offensively. So um, the, he knew the value at the time that I could not produce and, and um, I was able to then get traded for Will Pennyfeather, if I'm not mistaken, to the Cincinnati Reds. And it was a deal just to get done because they needed a roster spot for Tim Wallach, who was uh, now with the Angels at the time. So I, I ended up going to the Cincinnati Reds and go to Indianapolis, uh, straight to Indianapolis to play. And I met the team in Buffalo. And I had yet to have one at-bat in spring training. And all of a sudden, as soon as I get there, I'm in the lineup playing and frigid weather in Buffalo for the Indianapolis Indians. Fans want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether you're looking for that rare dead stock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. You know, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. You know, with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. You get a team of experienced folks who are gonna verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also gets that authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with that verified return process and for sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of hundred dollars or more making it free to sell or flip your collection so go to ebay.com sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection you start looking at it, eddie uh, you actually had your your Best year, 1997 with the Reds. 253, 16 home runs, 52 RBIs, 18 doubles. Um, that had to feel good, and, and especially in that uniform. The reason why I say that is we've already touched on your dad's success 
in the year 2000, he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. You're with the St. Louis Cardinals, but you get to be there on his special day. What did that mean for you, your family, and uh, and the coolness about Tony La Russa letting you go to that speech? Brother, you did your homework. Yeah. I like that. That's that's doing your homework right there. Um, that was that was awesome. Uh, I walked in, and I know how much of a gamer Tony La Russa is. And he wants to have all his pieces ready to play to win. He count, He depends on all 25 guys. And I had um, before we had gone to Houston, because that's where the that's where we were at the time. I went up to him and I asked him. I said, Tony, you know, my dad's getting inducted. And he goes, What took you so long? And he goes, What to come up and tell me about this day? I said, I already had it circled. I said, I don't want you here. I want you there. That's that's you are. You're the son of a Hall of Famer. He goes, and I take a lot of pride in that. And then, and he goes, so um, Saturday, you're with us. After the game Saturday, it was a Saturday day game. He goes, make sure you get there to Cooperstown enough time to, to be able to celebrate the night before and to celebrate that day on Sunday. Fortunately, if I'm not mistaken, Monday was a day off anyway. And then I met the team again in St. Louis. But uh, it was, um, I was grateful. I was grateful that he understood and that he respected what the history of the game uh, provided and what Cooperstown really means. And and I was proud, again, that was the best manager I played for. The most prepared manager I played for, uh, he understood um, each player's role, the strength and weaknesses of each player. And um, and he listened to each player. And uh, to the point where there were any little thing, any little detail, uh, he would he would definitely have. And, and going back to the Cincinnati Reds, when I wore the uniform in Cincinnati Reds because I grew up in Riverfront Stadium where they later changed the name to Synergy Field, um, it brought back so many memories. Um, uh, and I played in that clubhouse as a kid. And all of a sudden to be able to play on the field after all the father and son games that we had in the 70s, by the way, the kids never lost. We always, <laughs> I mean, we beat them. We hit them hard. Um, and uh, it was it was it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't know if it's a lot of fun right now on my knees because of the turf, but it still was it, it was a fun time there. Dad, uh, your, your dad goes in with Carlton Fisk uh, in 2000. Uh, what did that feel like sitting in that chair? Obviously the pride factor, but uh, what do you remember most about that day? I remember um, taking my girlfriend with me at the time. Um, now ends up, you know, she's my wife of 20 years. And um, not only that, my my really close buddy, Raph Navoa, who pitched also with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, he was there. Uh, my, being with my brother, just taking it all in, uh, looking in, in, in. And actually, it was a, kind of funny because that day, while he's preparing his speech and just reading it over and over, my mom was on him. Read it again. Read it again. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, I think he's okay. Read it again. And she was bound. And she's like, I'm like, Mom, once the emotions set in, it, it's all out the window. It's all out the window. And she's like, just make sure you know, I feel like a king in his coronation. I feel like a king in his coronation. And to this moment, because I just went to Puerto Rico this week, and this is not prepared, by the way. Um, each player gets a replica plaque, you know, and, and, and the whole thing. And they're not supposed to sell it or anything. And I asked my dad where it was because he's here in Miami with me. And he's like, I don't know if it's in Puerto Rico. I said, you got to get it out over here because it was misspelled at the time and they corrected it. Um, this is the replica plaque. So I have it right here, it weighs a ton. And you see, my middle name is Atanasio. 
And this was the, the original plaque and it's being replaced. The one in Cooperstown just got replaced this year because the S of Atanasio is supposed to be a C. So we were uh, able to, and then that's one of the little things I was working on. And now you see it there, the picture of the plaque in Cooperstown with a C. Love and that. It's, it's really cool. So this one has to go back to Cooperstown as soon as we get the other one. But um, Tim Mead did a great job and of being able to identify that. And, and um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun just uh, being a part of that family as well. You know what? Uh, amazing stuff uh, from your dad and obviously a Hall of Fame career. The one thing that sticks out in my mind, which is amazing, is that he never went on the disabled list. Uh, that, to me... He lets me know. He <laughs> lets me know every time, brother. I've heard your imitation of your dad. Can you give us a little bit of that when you when you he talks about He's the disabled crush list? Me, man. This is going to get to him. I know it's going to make it his way. But, uh, okay, here we go. Okay. Um, let me tell you something. You players nowadays, you guys don't know how to play with pain. Right then, we knew Wally Pip, and nobody was taking my job from me. Wally Pip, no existing. I used to, they used to take like 200 cc's, you know, because everything gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, they used to take like 200 cc's out of my knee, and I was back out there playing and hitting a linear right back of the middle and driving two stakes, two stakes. <laughs> it's fantastic. You're going to get me in trouble, Swains. Here you oh, go again, man. man. You're going to get me in trouble. You know that respect for your dad is is through the roof. <laughs> so that's the reason why he'll be okay. I with love him, man. He's awesome. He is. And he walks every day. He's in great shape. Uh, my parents are doing well. But um, uh, he's still, to this day, he's my hero. He's my hero for everything that he did to, to be able to provide for, for us. But most importantly, to provide to all of our family in Cuba to his brothers and sisters who have passed away and everything, but he was there for the family and, and uh, he was playing not just for us, but for all of us and uh, for the entire family and for the representation of Latinos in Cuba and for our second home and our second uh, flag, which, uh, which is Puerto Rico, which, which uh, that's where my parents met. So it was uh, definitely um, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of culture that we were able to be exposed to. We're going to talk about that Cuban connection in a moment, uh, Eduardo. But before we, we go, that plaque that you showed us, uh, your father, for our listeners, we're going to grab that. We're going to put it on our website, MajorLeagueBeginnings.com. You can check out that picture there. Uh, but as far as your life in the game goes, uh, beside the plaque, is there any piece of memorabilia, any autograph you got or anything you hold dear to you um, that you would like to share with our audience? Wow, man, show and tell. I love the show and tell. This is great. Hold on, I, did, I haven't done show and tell since kindergarten in Cincinnati. Hold on, yes, and there is, and there is. Obviously, you guys see this picture right here uh, where Buck O'Neill and Ken Griffey Jr., um, when I was in St. Louis, he was in Cincinnati. I think I, I hold that one dearly uh, because I grew up with Ken Griffey Jr. in Cincinnati. That one to me is important. Um, a couple years ago, in 2018, I was able to broadcast a game along with uh, Dave Fleming and Tim Kirchin, and it was Hank Aaron Day. And Hank was able to come into our booth for three and a half innings. And they had two bats, and um, two bats that were there at the time. And and um, this is the Hank Aaron model. And I was like, all right, Mr. Aaron, is there any way that you can sign this bat for me? Wow. So. 
having this one, knowing that he signed it, I don't need for it to get authenticated because I was there. Um, it was, uh, to me, awesome as can be. And, and again, just history in itself. I have, uh-oh, everything's about to fall apart here. But I have another one, I have another one and, and these are the ones that, my, that every Hall of Famer gets. This one's from the 2019, the last one, the induction. And you see all the autographs from the Hall of Famers that were present that day. And obviously, um, I take it I take it to heart because a lot of these names, um, a lot of these guys we lost this year, a lot of these uh, Hall of Famers from Al Kaline um, to Joe Morgan, um, you can go on and on in the list. And not only do I have the 2019 one, but I also have the 2017 and 2018 right there as well. And um, I look at them every day because I, 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 I believe that the history of the game is what keeps everything connected. It's yes, it's about numbers, but it's about people. And um, that fraternity to be able to get an inside look at it and to be able to see the greats of the greats of yesterday and, um, and then to be able to talk about uh, the greats now and the present and to be able to also do, as, as I'm privileged to do, the College World Series as well, to see the future. Uh, I think it is, I, I, I'm, I'm in a really cool spot. Whenever they say I, I would love to be a fly on the wall, I feel like I'm that fly and nobody's swatting me away on it. After all those years as a player and collecting all these wonderful memories, you were shut her down in uh, 2006 as far as hanging up the spikes go. Did you know right away that you wanted to be a broadcaster or was that a journey for you? Okay. For, I think, first of all, I don't think we're ever prepared. And I think Sweeney's can tell you this also, you're, you never prepare for your last game. You never prepare for your last year, especially in the role that we were in. Um, and, you know, and, and Mark was so successful at, uh, coming off the bench and it took a lot of pride, you know, and, and I know his story also. I don't have to Google it or anything. I witnessed it of, um, you know, just seeing, you know, he's in, the, he's in the ranks of the Lenny Harris's and Manny Moda's when it comes to pinch hitting and, and took a lot of pride for it. And you feel like you can do that forever. You feel like, you know, I'm, um, they can, whenever they decide to take the uniform away from me, because I'm not going to give it away. Uh, so in 2007, I was with the White Sox in spring training. I had a great spring training, but I knew it was pretty much time because I hit a home run against Capuano and I got around first base and I tweaked my calf muscle and I couldn't move. And I strained it to the point that I needed a pinch runner to finish rounding the bases for me. Wow. And right there, as I stood there, I was like, this could be it, man. I mean, if you can't jog around the bases to hit a home, on a home run. You don't deserve to be here. Um, and in the meantime, while I'm thinking about that, Andy Gonzalez pinch runs for me. And he and it, when he, once he gets to the plate, he gives you one of these. <laughs> I'm going, what are you doing? I hit the home run. <laughs> and, and I'm like in pain here. So I get I get taken off the field. Um, but the year before that, um, Bart Swain who is the media relations for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, during spring training, he asked me if I was interested at all in, in actually doing broadcasting and, and doing baseball tonight. Because he's like, listen, man, there's, you know, there's not a lot of people like you that can speak both languages well, that can read both languages well. And, 
and um, that know the game, and I would love to connect you. And then I get traded to Seattle in the middle of that year, and I had, you know, I'd lost touch with Bart, and all of a sudden Bart's calls me uh, right at the end, and he goes, you still interested? And I said, yeah, I'm interested. And uh, ESPN then called me, um, and they asked me what I wanted, and I said, I just need a, a tr- I just need a hotel room and a, and a rent-a-car to get me there, and and that's it. I just need to get my foot in the door. And I knew that I really liked it when my heart was beating just as fast as it, uh, when that red light went on the first day, as it did when I first, the first time I got in the big league batter's box. Opportunities to broadcast opportunities to be a coach, um, aspirations to be a manager. I think our listeners understand just, just being able to hear you and hear your message. You have the ability to be, not only a manager at the big league level, but a successful one at that. Uh, but broadcasting has been your niche. Um, you had the ability as a broadcaster to go back to Cuba, which was very emotional for you. I know that. I understand your presence there, your dad's uh, affinity to that. Um, what was that like going back with Carl Ravitch and, and broadcasting that game, that moment? Because it wasn't just the game. It was the events leading up to that as well. Surreal. It was surreal. And again, um, yeah, everybody talks about if it's my dad and all that. And I was able to see my aunts and my and uh, my aunt and uh, my cousins. Also, they made the trip from uh, from Cielo de Avila to to um, Havana, and it was a seven hour car ride without any air conditioning. And you're looking at a small car, everybody tied in together. Um, and you know, family is everything for me. But most importantly. It was about my grandfather who had passed at the age of 97. He passed in 2006. And, and um, because my dad traveled so much playing the game and because my mom was always with my dad, um, you know, we leaned a lot on extended family. So it was my mom's side of the family who had a lot to do with uh, raising me. And uh, because my grandmother passed away when I was around 13, it was my grandfather and myself that hung out a lot. Um, and he would tell me stories of Cuba and he told me stories about, um, the, the, the stadium that we were in and all of a sudden for me to be there and understand what it meant, um, for so many people and what it meant for major league baseball to be playing there and what it meant for president Obama also to be there and for me to be able to interview president Obama during the game. I mean, come on now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about interviewing the president, the leader of the free world in, in an island that's not free. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand when we saw a full stadium there, they were rehearsed. They were selected. Those people weren't there because they bought a ticket. They, they were there because they didn't want to embarrass the Cuban, uh, the, 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 the Cuban um, uh, government. And they were handpicked. They were government workers. And, and, and to see Raul Castro just, just uh, feet away from President Obama and to see Fidel Castro's grandkids and his son just feet away from, from me as I'm interviewing President Obama, come on, man. That's, 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 that's another level uh, to the point that I remember when Andy Reichwald, our producer, told me in the ear, he goes, um, you're next. And uh, Tom Archer also. Um, who uh, who has guided me in, in such uh, amazing ways, told me, you're next. I was like, what, what? And for a second, it was 
it was very surreal to be able to to interview the president. But I was able to, with Hannah Storm also during a sports center, let let my feelings out, and, and I thought it was really important. But I'm, I'm going to add this to it. Pedro Gomez, who we lost this year, I spent a lot of time with him, not only in Cuba, but also in, 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 in you know, working in its World Series and, and series here and there. He taught me a lot, but he taught me how to be so prideful of being a Cuban because obviously I was raised in Puerto Rico and I have ultimate respect, but I have the best of all three flags. I was born in Cincinnati. I was raised in Puerto Rico, but my blood is full Cuban. And, um, and that's one thing that he always told me, and I'll take that to my heart, and uh, I'll take that in every day as I broadcast games and I continue to live and move it on to my kids. I'm so glad you mentioned Pedro Gomez. Um, uh, this was one that uh, there was a lot of loss in baseball this particular year. But, man, uh, that hit a lot of people hard. Uh, the professionalism, uh, how he handled his job, how he handled personalities individually, collectively, I thought this guy was uh, so professional in his craft. Uh, the reason why I bring that up, and, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought his name up, there has to be influences not only in, in your baseball career, but also your broadcasting career. Anybody that in particular that's helped you out the most? Yeah, well, I've lost two people that, um, that meant a lot to me. First one was Joe Morgan. And um, Joe, because he did all the Sunday night baseball with John Miller, and I looked up to him and a lot of players I, back then used to always say, oh, Joe, he's, you know, into and so Look, go watch video and go look at the numbers of what, of what Joe Morgan meant uh, to the Cincinnati Reds, to baseball in general. And for his diminutive size of 5'7", to be able to rake the way he did and run the bases like he did. Um, I mean, he's, he's one of the all-time greats. And um, to this moment, I look back and, and one thing that I do is uh, look at Hall of Fame speeches because I think that they, they, it tells a story of the players. Uh, so I go back on YouTube and I listen to all those uh, back then. And I thought, I think they're really, it gives you a, a great perspective. But Joe would treat me like a son because anyone that wore a Cincinnati Reds uniform while I was a kid, I considered them. And my dad always told us, if they tell you to do something or they tell you not to do something, their voice is just as important as my voice. You're in their house. This is their, their clubhouse. This is our clubhouse. It's not your clubhouse. You have to respect. So whenever Joe told me anything, JB, Johnny Bench talks to me all, calls me all the time. I mean, I have so many, so many dads, uh, Pete Rose. I mean, I stay in touch with, with them in, in so many ways. And then yes, Pedro Gomez. Uh, but as a family, look, Steve Phillips, who I do, who I do the show with, um, on the leadoff spot on Sirius XM. He's been phenomenal with me, even when I was at ESPN. Carl Ravitch has taught me a lot of tough love, and I think that's very important. And um, Tim Kirchin, those guys, um, you know, they mean the world to me. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to call them teammates. But there's so many, from Rick Sutcliffe. And, and you've had to deal with Sut also because he's in the San Diego area. It's hard to get away from him. He's like, he's like one of those gum that when it's warm that you, stay, you step on. And it just keeps stretching out and stretching out. Um, man, he, I love him. I love him to death. And, uh, uh, but, but there's so many people that if you start just naming them, um, it's, it's crazy. But, uh, and it's a behind the scenes people as well. Um, I have a, a producer by the name of Mike McQuaid that changed my work, uh, changed my, my broadcasting life because he was brutally honest. And, and I needed that. I didn't need a hey, good job. That's it. Um, 
he's he's considered the fixer, and boy did he fix me in a hurry. And um, and I, I owe a lot to him um, uh, because it gave me the confidence of being able to be uh, to be better. And you know, as baseball players, we want feedback, and he was able to provide honest, concise feedback. You know what? In fairness. It's always great to get feedback, but it's a real tribute to you to be able to take that, process it, and deliver it the way you have as your role at ESPN has grown uh, and fans have had a chance to enjoy your work as you did uh, even Korean baseball during uh, COVID. So you're, hey, yo, baby. Right? Your resume oh. is enormous. Before hey, you, see we this you-, right, you see this right here in my eye right now? Let me take this off. I, gotta, I mean, I got a couple. I had the cucumber in my eyes and put some because I was getting bags into my eyes and everything for not sleeping well. I was... It was it was tough, man. It, the names were the easy part. It was waking up after a while and, and knowing that you're jet lagged every day because the kids didn't understand that I'm on Korean time, man. It was it was it's a different beast. But baseball is baseball, and we were privileged to have to have um, broadcast the game to around the world. Um, and that's I bought a little map and I put pins on it, and I would always have it in my background. Sorry, I don't have the back, but usually it goes right there. And um, people all around the world would tweet where they were. They'd send pictures and the whole thing. It was kind of cool. Hold on. I might as well get it right. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. All right. Sorry about the red shorts I have on right now. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm saying it before Mark gets all over me. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you think I would do that? Oh, yeah. Right. Yes, you will. Okay. So, and I still have a pin. So, I mean, just look around the world. Look, South Africa, really? That's How incredible. Cool is that? I mean, all you know, South America, all over Europe. We're looking Thailand. I mean, I got invited to so many sports bars. This is great. Obviously, the United States, but this was worldwide. And at the time where we didn't have any sports, it was baseball, and mm-hmm. that was really cool. You know, it's fascinating to me because not only do you do all of these things, and now you're clearly a globetrotter, (laughs) what can people expect from you next? Do you even know what you want to do next? Um, I owe a lot to the game. That I do know, because if it wasn't for the game, my parents wouldn't have met. Uh, My dad was uh, played in Puerto Rico in winter ball. That's where they met. Uh, Three months, uh, five months later, they end up getting married. And uh, they've been together, just celebrated their 56th year uh, together in uh, 50, yeah, 56 years. And, you know, they are, they are my superstars. And, and again, it fed us when we were little. It's fed me. It, uh, it got me through college. It fed me also when, uh, uh, when I was playing. And I'm grateful to the game. And if I can be able to be a part of it if it's on the broadcasting side of it if it's the coaching side of it which I already had done as a hitting coach and as a bench coach um, I was honored to have uh, interviewed a few times already for managerial positions um, I just love the game um, I managed in winter ball for three years one two out of the three years it's fun winning um, and one thing that my dad tells me to this day and he has them right there on his mantle. He's got three World Series championships. Uh, he's got two World Series, uh, three as a in uniform, two out of uniform. So five World Series championships in total. And the only way to get one is actually by being on the field with the players. And and I understand that. And and um, and I, I I just think it's really cool. And that's part of my 
part of my desire, but at the same time, I love what I do also in the broadcasting part of it because I represent not just um, you know the former player, I represent also the Latino that can do it in English, and I also represent the African American that can do it and show diversity. And and um, I think this is one thing that baseball needs more of is is opportunity for all. And the diversity is is so important. Um, uh, from Boise, Idaho in 1991, Eduardo, uh, it puts a, a smile on our face. Uh, Tom Kochman, our manager, um, who what I was that rally thing called? I forgot. What was that rally thing called? We had rally something. I, I, <laughs> but we had the, the ability to have fun in the game. Um, if anyone knows you, and I, I know they're listening right now, uh, you had a blast on the field. Uh, you did it with a smile. You did it with um, all of the passion that your dad and your mom and your family anointed you with. Uh, but as a former teammate of yours, I am so proud to watch you and enable yourself to be able to give back to the game because that's what we all look for. That's what we all aspire to because this game of baseball has molded our life. Um, I can't thank you enough for for uh, voicing your message having the ability to be emotional, but also do it with a smile on your face as you always do. And man, am I proud. Uh, I love you. You know we're always friends and uh, we'll continue to be that way, but I'm thankful for all your stories today. No doubt, no doubt. It's an honor to be here and I want to thank all of you guys. Seriously, Mike, it's a pleasure to meet you and now you're part of the family, so uh, sorry about that, brother. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. Just don't do anything wrong. I don't have any bail money. Thanks so much, Eduardo. Really great, great to spend this time with you. I can't say it any better than Mark already did. We really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.